This is the Young People League Podcast. Let's activate our generation. Welcome to episode six of season one of the Young People Lead podcast series. In this episode, we are coming together to discuss our findings in episodes one through five and learning more about the research on child well-being with Dr. LaShonda Kilgore. It's sure to be an exciting discussion, but before we get into it, let me tell you about the podcast series. This series is hosted by youth policy consultants from the American Youth Policy Forum, powered by Children's Defense Fund. This is the podcast that demonstrates that young people can and should lead by telling stories from the front lines of where youth are transforming policies for the better, as well as examining research on the policies that most affect us. This first season, we stood on policy. That's right, season one was dedicated to standing on policy, activating our generation. Throughout this season, six of us youth policy consultants took our listeners on a journey to understand how young people are making a difference in the policies that affect them most. We talked to experts, researchers, and young leaders working on policies in education, the legal system, child welfare, and the workforce. We hope you enjoyed the journey with us. You made it to the final episode. Let's do this. Hello and welcome. I am so excited to host this final episode of the Standing on Policy season of the Young People Lead podcast. Today, all six of us youth policy consultants are here to have a discussion with our guest, Dr. LaShonda Kilgore. Dr. LaShonda Kilgore serves as the Manager of Research and Special Projects at the Children's Defense Fund. She is currently conducting research on reconceptualizing child well-being. In this research, she engages the voices of children and their families to understand their meaning and experiences of child and youth well-being. First, I'm going to ask each of us YPCs to give a short introduction, including why you are passionate about the youth engagement and policymaking, which episodes you worked on, and finally, one word that describes your experience working on this podcast. I'll start. I'm Jordan Wilson. I am the lead host on this final episode, and I was the co-host on the child welfare episode. In addition, I was a guest on the legal system episode. One word or phrase that describes my experience on the podcast is fire. My fellow YPCs have me fired up. I'm so happy to see the result of this podcast. So happy to see everything come together. I'm just fired up for everybody to hear what we have to say. And I just can't wait to see all of this put together, all of this in action. So my name is Kyla Woods. I am super, super excited about generally talking about why young people need to take up space in the policy making arena to really get in the weeds of where we are now and where we want to be. Exploratory is kind of the, the feeling I have. Like I've learned a lot about even what I think about myself. First uh, podcast, the introduction, Trill and I had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. Wilson of CDF. And I found myself asking, what do I want the next 10 years to look like in really taking account of the wins that we have had? Hey, everybody. I'm Trill. And I had the opportunity to host the legal system episode where Tyra was my um, co-host and Jordan was a guest. So thank you for having me. I'm really passionate about advocating for young people being involved in policymaking and just changing the world because I think the builders of the world should be those who are going to inherit it and live in it. And if I could choose one word to describe the experience, I would choose ready. Martin Luther King has this quote that we must face the fact that tomorrow is today and we're faced with the fierce urgency of now. And just speaking with all my teammates and my guests, 
I hear from my generation that we're ready to confront the problems the world is bringing us. So thank you for having me. Hey, yo, I'm Cody here, and I was the lead on the workforce episode, also the co-host of the education episode, truly amazing conversations. There's not one word to describe how I am incredibly blessed to find my calling at a young age and be able to wake up and do what I love. Hi, everyone. My name is Daphne. Um, I worked on the episode of Child Welfare. I am the co-host of the final episode with Jordan. And I am passionate about the youth policy engagement and policymaking because I think that it is crucial to include young people when it comes to making the future. To me, it makes sense to add them into the conversation because it is them that's going to lead this world into a better future. And also one word that described my experience working on this podcast is a momentum. Like for me, it's a momentum to continue to contribute to what I'm doing and to never give up. I'm really happy to share this space with the other YPCs and CDF as well. Thank you so much for believing in me, believing in our vision, most importantly. So thank you, CDF. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is Tyra Beeman. I was the host on the education episode for this podcast series and a co-host on the legal episode. I chose education because I was inspired from my experience as a classroom teacher, um, teaching elementary and middle school to really engage young people in decision making and conversations um, that had to do with their education, their well-being, their development. And I've been committed to the work ever since. Um, I truly enjoyed also working on the legal legal system episode, having had lived experience with the youth justice system when I was um, in middle school. And truly, I feel empowered to do this work because I am still a young person myself and in community with a lot of young people. So one word I can use to describe my experience working on this podcast is free. I feel more free to tell my story and to lift up the stories and lived experiences of other, other young people as well. Dr. Kilgore, thank you so much for being in the building with us today. I'd love for you to just give a short introduction on why you're passionate about youth engagement and policymaking and one word to describe how you feel about being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm LaShonda Kilgore. I serve as the manager of research and special projects at Children's Defense Fund. I wrapped up my PhD in family communication at in December of 2022. And so all the work that I did leading up to graduating is what brings me to this work. I was uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Due to my biological parents' struggle with substance use, I was placed into foster care in very early stages of my life. And so I spent about six years in foster care before I was adopted by my current family, the Kilgores. 
growing up, I always enjoyed school. It really became a safe place for me. School really helped me understand just how fascinated I am with people and especially how our early lived experiences kind of shape us. So I went to school to study interpersonal and family communication. Um, And so my passion for this work is really personal to me. As a young person in foster care, people never asked me what I wanted, what was important to me, how I felt about things. They just kind of made those decisions for me. And as you can imagine, as you get older and you don't have a voice, you're ready to scream at some point, right? And so that was kind of my experience. I had a lot to say, but again, I love school. So as I navigated the education system and I started learning more about youth engagement, foster care, which was really my passion, I realized that youth voice was missing from the literature. So I would read all these articles and I was like, hmm, the research was one, it was really whitewashed. And two, the youth voice was very absent. And I didn't like that very much. And so I decided I'm going to take it upon myself to be the person that writes youth voice into literature. And so that is kind of where my passion for youth engagement started, but then also research that is informed by youth lived experiences. And then the last question. So it's really important for us to capture youth voice in policymaking is because we're creating policies that impact their lives and their well-being and their upbringing. And so why shouldn't they have a voice? I feel really empowered as someone who is just a little bit removed (laughs) from being described as youth. It feels really empowering to be in a room full of like-minded young people that are really ready to do the work and really excited about doing the work. So thank you for empowering me in this moment. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. So Dr. Kilgore, I would love to start with you. Oftentimes we see when a child is in one system, it's usually because another system failed them. Can you talk to us a little bit about childhood trauma and how it relates to the various systems that the YPCs discuss in their episodes? Absolutely. I love this question. So research really shows us that early lived experiences shape us, right? And so in my research, that was something that really captivated me. I started out like in my master's program wanting to know why so little foster youth graduated college or even pursued college. And as I started to do interviews with these young people, I realized they had some really, really hard experiences in their early lives. And then that led me to understanding adverse childhood experiences. When someone experiences trauma, they never leave the same. Trauma changes you, right? You're not the same person anymore. So trauma can alter the chemical in your brain. It can impede your development. And it can leave you with physical, mental, and even emotional health problems. And not just for a short period of time. These things can last for a lifetime. When trauma is experienced in an early age, it's known as adverse childhood experiences and or ACEs. I'll refer to it as ACEs for the purposes of this podcast. They are related to long-term physical, mental, and relationship difficulties. So there's a study many, many years ago, and they found that if you have a high ACE score, which is basically how many adverse childhood experiences you have, so each experience counts as like one point, the more you have of those, the more likely you are to develop cancer and to even have a 20-year decrease in your life expectancy when your early life is filled with, with trauma or really challenging experiences. Let's say you're a child in a family that is struggling financially and you're placed into foster care with a family that's present physically, but not so much emotionally. And then you go to school and you, you know, you have that experience. So in this little scenario that I've just given, I've listed four adverse childhood experiences already. 
and let's assume this person has yet to even graduate high school, right? So there's all of these systems that this person has encountered already before high school. And then because of their experience, this could further impact the likelihood of them experiencing homelessness as well as incarceration. A good percentage of those who experience homelessness and those who are imprisoned or have been imprisoned have gone through the foster care system. So having experience in the foster care system could lead this person to needing um, services from various other systems. So unless one system decides that they're going to better serve children and youth, there's really a revolving door from system to system when youth encounter them. I love how you brought up well-being as it has to do with childhood trauma and just how that affects us later in life. I struggle even trusting people and it's do what happened in my childhood. What you said about A scores really resonated with me. I studied social work in undergrad and I remember learning about A scores and it was such a light bulb moment because in that same lesson, there's this question, true or false, do adverse childhood experiences make a child more resilient when they grow up? Right. And of course, the answer is false. Outside of that, it's really hard to see poverty as a public health crisis. And that really kind of sets you up in the right mindset to think about it. It's crazy because when we were talking about ACEs, my brain was just thinking root causes. And I know that came up a lot in the legal system episode about how we don't realize that there's a lot of root factors that funnel our young people into the system. And oftentimes, a lot of people don't talk about how it's the failure of one system that essentially funnels you into another system. So thank you for that and those insights. I really appreciate it. Why would you say the research is important as it relates to our advocacy efforts? Why should people care about what the research has to say? I really think because there's no advocacy work without research, really, right? So uh, data tells us where we should be focusing our advocacy efforts and research allows us to assess those efforts. And then so basically research and advocacy go hand in hand. There's types of research that are more authentic in community engagement. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you model it in your day-to-day? Community-engaged research is really important, um, especially to me. I feel like that is really my focus. I love working in community with others, so it's really important to the work that um, I do at CDF and outside of CDF. So if research is based in a specific community, they are my partners in the research, right? So as a researcher who wants to do community-engaged research, I go into the community and I ask them what it is that they want to investigate further based on their experiences. So basically, the community is involved from the inception of research. So it starts at the research question all the way down to data analysis and even like the major findings and takeaways because community-engaged research is so important because you're studying research that will directly impact this community that you're working with, right? So it only makes sense to partner with this community in the process of research. Kyla, I would love to bring you into the conversation here a little bit. What did you learn in your episode as it relates to authentic youth engagement? 
it's it's been an insight that I think researchers have gained in saying, okay, if we go to communities first, number one, we're going to have buy-in when programs are actually implemented, like when the implementation piece comes. And then we're also not extracting the way that we've seen historically, right, where researchers, the big wigs kind of come in and they assess and they, you know, they they look at what's what's happening with those people over there, right? And then come away with their insights. And a lot of times people don't even know that they were being studied. And then if they do, what the findings were. Um, in our episode, it was really awesome to see that Dr. Wilson shared those same insights in terms of resiliency in terms of what that already exists, right? Like communities are already figuring out ways to fill those gaps that systems are failing in and often don't have access to the Dr. Kilgores. And, and now that we have researchers that come from the communities that, that are being served and studied, uh, we see some really cool advancements. Thank you so much for sharing that. That just like got me fired up all over again um, because it's so important for researchers to want to be ethical in their approach as they are, you know, working with communities and not just going to communities, taking from them, leaving and never reporting back to the community or even providing resources and or solutions to the community. And so I think this research and even any type of research that I do is really important to me is making sure that we are giving back to the community, right? Because I'm a qualitative researcher by heart. So if I'm going into a community and I am asking some of these people about an experience, some of these experiences could be really hard to relive and even share. And I'm very privileged, right, to be able to go into a community and ask them, tell me your deepest, darkest secret, right? And it doesn't have to be anything as deep as that, but we need to make sure that we are being ethical in our approach and making sure that it's a partnership, right? So they're getting something from us and we're getting something from them. It's not just we're going and taking from this community. So I really appreciate you bringing that up, Kyla. I think it's important to know too that the partnership needs to be different, needs to be deeper than just monetary. Oftentimes you'll see people are willing to, you know, offer a $25 stipend or offer a $50 gift card to just say, here's what we have for your time. Thank you for coming out. And that's it, right? It needs to be an authentic partnership where you're building trust, you're building in relationships, you're addressing basic needs, offering food or whatever it may be deeper than just that monetary value. Because oftentimes all you do with that is just check a box to say, this is what we did and this is what we got out of it. And that's it. I just want to dovetail that one more time, Jordan, because what I thought was so cool about my first opportunity to participate, I got excited when you said qualitative research. I was like, I know the, the in vivo and learned all of that. And what was cool is as a person who was directly impacted being invited on uh, by, uh, in this case, it was Urban Institute. And it was so, I was like, oh, wait, not only am I learning and and kind of removing some of uh, what you put on yourself in terms of, um, of course, everyone has uh, self-talk, right? And when you see people have similar experiences, it's a lot easier to give yourself uh, grace and understand the ecosystem that you're existing in. Um, but then I walked away being able to say, I can do qualitative research. And so I just, I, I really want to uh, applaud you, Dr. Kilgore, for balancing those scales a little bit in our communities. I just wanted to uh, along the lines of conversation and just continuing the momentum is that 
I kind of have an issue when it comes to focus groups because as I spend one hour with a group of young adults with design a year at least of needing collaboration here then out and really building that rapport and that sense of fulfillment that hey wow this org really took the time to hear us out to the time to work with us and also the whole visa gift is the reality is that won't pay our bills and us especially in college need a check to do what we gotta do and not be limited to our online shop. It can feel like a waste of time if those two things are not aligned in just a Another way to tokenize us. Thank you, Cody, for that. I'd love to bring in Trill, Daphne, Tyra. What did you guys learn in your episodes as it relates to what we're talking about with uplifting youth voice, authentic youth engagement, community engagement? So I did the legal system episode in this trail, by the way. And as far as um, community engagement and really movement building, one of the biggest things I learned was we have to really authentically engage the community we're trying to work with. And if you truly want to target a problem and frame the solution, you have to involve those most affected by the problem. We were talking a lot about curdle messengers and different programs like that. And it was really the research piece that showed the drop in recidivism rates that highlighted the importance of having someone who's been through the similar experience before. In my episode, the education episode, I had the opportunity to uh, center the experiences of college students. So my topic centered a conversation around access to higher education, and I um, I enjoyed my guests' um, you know lived experiences as researchers and also working in the higher ed space and talking about how young people created student led movements you know outside of the traditional student government associations to truly empower the student body to you know go to their leaders or policymakers within that setting and advocate for policy change advocate for more equitable access to resources to funding etc and so um, when it comes to engaging young people in policy making, I felt like it's not just on the adult in those spaces. I feel like young people should be willing to agitate a little bit and create the space themselves, bombard the rooms themselves. And that was something that was definitely lifted up in my episode and something that I, I stand behind. It's Daphne. I would say for my episode of Child Welfare, because it's a very sensitive topic, there were a few points that really center when it comes to a, like being involved in the community and 
a lot of the youth, they come out of the system or they age out and they're not giving the proper resources. They're not being guided. They're not shown like where to go or how to get there. They're not being shown how to navigate these resources properly. Or some people come into their life and they're not being in their best interests. And that's something that we I touched upon with one of my guests because it's so easy to see people offer help. But my experience as well, a lot of people just want to use you. They don't want to actually help you. And so it's easy in that space. There's like this thing where people can use your trauma against you, right? Because it's like they know that they can profit off of you. So navigating that, I think that it's important that our communities come together to offer resources to families, to schools, to other facilities that are involved in kids' lives, like after-school programs. There should be like programs to teach young people how to do you know like financial literacy or how to do your FAFSA like how to drive like that's the thing that I don't see in high schools anymore like teaching a kid how to drive that's not a thing anymore at least in my experience but there are just basic things that a lot of foster youth when they age out they don't know how to do some of them come out not knowing how to advocate for themselves or speaking up, right? And so it's very important that they have a community or an adult in their life that they can trust, that can help guide them. That's pretty much what I would say about my podcast episode. And again, it is a very sensitive topic. So I wanted to very tread lightly. So thank you for giving me the space. Daphne, you're touching on so many gaps. And I think what happens when a young person is identified as an inconvenience or a problem person, I've seen it in my own experiences, but also now in my role advocating for youth and going to their court dates and hearing some of those background conversations, um, right? You, you come to understand the narrative that's created about this young person, what they want, what they're willing to do. And when it's coming from people who have so much power, I really wanted to, to cement what you're saying. It's isolating and it, it's exploitive. And ultimately, it keeps people in a, it keeps people institutionalized, essentially, and then pushes them to adulthood at the same time. Yeah. For example, right, this is something I learned recently as a young adult, because wow, and predominantly black and Spanish households, all we know is being sad, mad and happy. We see a young kid running around and we're like, oh, look at that bad kid. No, that kid probably is has has anxiety or ADHD. Right. But because of the institutionalized, uh, you know, system that we come from and not knowing and, you know, just not knowing that having um, emotional intelligence in our family, like we just don't know. So we just label every kid that walks around like running around bad kid that goes that bad kid, you know, of course. So everything that you all just shared answers the question as to why it's so important for youth voice to be into policy. Right. So if you think about Daphne, the um, example that you just gave about, you know, not having the emotional intelligence. When I think about the generations before me and the knowledge that they had about mental health, anxiety, depression, children having to say so. Right. They did not have that knowledge. Right. So why are we allowing them to create policies that are impacting the generations coming up when we're trying to change that. So I think it's really important for us to understand that that generation didn't have the wherewithal that we have, right? And 
we can give them grace, but we can also say, all right, now it's time for us to move on and move forward with the new generation, right? I really wanted to point that out. I've had a lot of experiences in other jobs where, you know, they're the they're the Black Panthers, right? Which is awesome, <laughs> which is awesome there. But in that increase, in having that mentality, they're like, we can withstand anything. This is nothing. They think kids should endure everything, right? Because they're quote unquote, resilient. But it's like, well, what if we created a world where children did not have to be resilient? What would that look like, right? And I think that's what is really why Youth Voice is so important because I feel like that's the world we're trying to create. But generations before us don't quite understand that. I'd love to unpack that specific piece a little bit. Can you tell us what the research looks like in regards to what's essential for a child's well-being? What does it look like to help a young person? What does it look like to reimagine the world for the newest generation? And I would also love to bring in my fellow YPCs to talk about too, like, like what does it look like to have this new generation of policies that are going to be better for our young people? I'll share the the most recent research um, that I conducted. So last summer, I traveled to various cities and states throughout the U.S. to talk to children and their families. And I asked them, what does it mean for you to be well? What does that even look like? What do you need to be well? What gets in the way of that? All those things. And so in this research, it was really for us to have a better understanding of what does it actually mean when we say child well-being, right? Like there's all these advocacy organizations and researchers that are saying like, well, the well-being of children is really important to us. We want to advocate for the well-being of children. But what does that actually mean? When we get down to the nitty gritty, what does it actually mean for children to be well? But there were like three big takeaways from the research that I would love to share with you all. I talked to children and youth, and I also talked to parents and caregivers. And you may think that I got a different response from children and youth and then parents and caregivers. Nope, they were all aligned. I uh, point this out because we don't really listen to children. We don't really give them um, a say-so, especially when it comes to their own well-being. We, as in CDF, we're really trying to change that, right? Like, we're a child advocacy organization. Children and youth have a seat at the table in all that we do. And so they definitely had a seat at the table in this research. So the well-being of children. Children need three things to be well, according to the research that I conducted last summer. They need to be safe. They need to experience joy and they need to have provision. So I'll briefly break all those down. Safety is the assurance that children and youth can live and play without the threat of violence, scarcity, and undue stress. So we need to make sure that children are safe on every front. And it's really hard for you to be well if you're constantly worried about your safety. And then joy. Children need to experience joy. And joy is the assurance that children and youth can explore the world through play. That is the essence of childhood. It's for us to experience joy. And we need to really protect that. We need to do a better job at protecting the joy of children. We don't want children working to help pay for their families, bills and food. We don't want that. We want children to enjoy nature. Nature was like something that came out in this research, being able to have access to green spaces. Who would have thought a, a nature walk would help a five-year-old? That that was so important to their well-being. That is what was shared with me. And then lastly is provision, right? So provision is the assurance that children and youth will have their physical, emotional, and intellectual needs met. So that means on every front, children and youth are well taken care of. So it doesn't mean that we only feed them intellectually, right? We only send them to school. We need to make sure that we're investing in their physical and emotional well-being. 
these three things that I described for children to be well, they need all three of these. So we can't say we're going to throw all our money at the joy of children, right? When they're experiencing violence in their neighborhood, we have to ensure that children have all of these things because when one of these is missing, the well-being of children is gravely impacted. They need, children and youth need to be safe. They need to experience joy and they need to have provision. So that is what the research says is essential to child well-being. As someone that is currently breaking generational curses, you are speaking to my soul right now. Thank you, Dr. Kilgore, for that. Cody, I'm going to bring you in. I think it's crucial that young people need to create spaces, create movements that meet them where they are at. Especially when we talk about policies, that's one key reason why all policies should be used and driven and not used Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Cody. You know, I just wanted to say something to those listening that it's our duty as the adults that teach children, the adults that care for children, the adults that see children in our community, in our neighborhoods, to understand that it's our responsibility, literally, to ensure that children feel safe, children feel like they can be their most joyous self, and that they are cared for, you know, under provision. I think oftentimes I hear like, you know, when I send my kid to school, it's the teacher. They're in the hands of the administrators. I like to say and live by the notion that it truly does take a village to raise children. I really hope that this research continues to reach uh, different audiences because so many people need to hear that these are the things that children need most in order to ensure that they are well. Dr. Kilgore, what you were talking about, I just kept hearing and I've recently learned about because we talk about vulnerabilities a lot, ACEs a lot. And when I learned this year about protective factors and responding to people's needs in that way, I was like, wow, those are those are protective factors we're, we're pulling from what we already have. So I just I I love that you you see the strength versus uh, vulnerabilities that while they may exist, there's so much power that our communities already have. As a young social scientist, the first time I actually um, met you, Dr. Kilgore, you were presenting this research on the uh, farm, on Alex Haley Farm. And it was so motivating for me, really, really inspiring because when you're in class, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of young social scientists out there listening to this, sociologists, social workers, political scientists, and you may have a dream to like really change the world and you don't know if there's people actually out there doing the root causes research that you're thinking of, that you know would truly like push us forward and building the world we want to build. And you are actually like the first person I encountered like doing the work on the social science side. I want to say like, thank you for your work and like pushing the needle and setting a great example. Of course. Thank you all. Thank you all for continuing the work. From my YPCs, from Dr. Kilgore, you know, what is your call to actions for people listening? What do you hope that they leave the podcast understanding? What do you hope they end up leaving doing, accomplishing? You know, what is your call to action? What do you want people to take away from this? Why did we do this? Why does it matter? I'll go first. So um, I think I really want 
want researchers to take away um, that there is wisdom in in the voices of children and youth. I think much can be learned from sitting at the feet of children and youth and just listening, just giving them the opportunity to speak, um, because I think we've we've decided that they don't have much to say or we 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 assume what they have to say. Um, And so there's really power in just listening to what young people have to say. So my call to action is listen to young people. My advice for young people is just be involved. Go write letters to your rest. Go and testify on bills that matter to Be active in your community because it will make a difference in the long run. I'll hop in. I'd say don't be disheartened. Um if you feel like the narrative about you that you hear. I know sometimes I live in a city and I'm always hearing about how dangerous young people are, how violent young people are, how they don't want to do anything. Do do not let that be your narrative. And, and Tyra said it too. Show up. Show up at your council meetings. Make people uncomfortable because I tr- trust and believe the conversations that happen when there's 15 young people standing right in front of them are a lot different um, than when we're not in the room. Uh, so Keep showing up, but also don't let that be our narrative. It's not. And I like to say to young people listening, ask questions about the world around you. Don't just accept um, what the world, what what even what adults have to, you know, have to say. Be a student at, at life. Be um, curious. Um, read books watch YouTube videos, attend webinars, go to school outside of school time um, to really educate yourself and find find where you fit in um, because there is a place for all of us. And um, like I said, if, if there's not a platform for you to use your voice, be willing to be the first, be willing to, to stand alone. And for adults listening, not only do I want adults to listen to to youth and young adults and bringing them into conversations um, around policy and making change in this world. But um, I want them to get started right now. After they, after they stop listening to this podcast episode, find a young person in your contact list, find a young person in your neighborhood and ask them, how do they feel about the world around them? How do they feel about their teachers, their their schools, their communities? And really take those stories and do something with them. Within your own power, do something with them. So that's what I want to leave listeners with. To echo the quote um, from the beginning of the podcast, I would um, urge listeners to respond to the moment, acknowledge the moment of now. To echo the MLK quote from the beginning, we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. It is unfolding in this conundrum of life and history. There is such a thing as being too late. There is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. So I just want to encourage all my teammates, my classmates, my comrades, and my peers listening 
my mentors, my colleagues and advisors to just respond to this moment and acknowledge it as something that hasn't happened in history. Most importantly, understand that we're human beings and that don't have the expectations that we should be a certain way. Just be yourself, show up. It's okay. Um, you know, just show up and be your, and do your best. Be, uh, beat your true self. Um, I think that society has these expectations of us, especially us YPCs, like, oh, like superheroes. No, actually, no. Like we all have our personal lives as well. We still continue to take care of ourselves and show up for those around us and those that support us. But at the end of the day, we're still human beings and it's still okay to break down sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, it's important for us to show up for others just as we show up for ourselves. Such important call to actions. I really appreciate all of you guys coming on the podcast tonight. Dr. Kilgore, thank you so much for being in the room. Kyla, Trill, Cody, Tyra, Daphne, I appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much for all of your hard work. We did it. It was a fantastic podcast. We put in the hard work. We made it. So excited. Thank you guys all for your time tonight. Thank you. This was awesome. Go team. This was great. Thank you all so much for having me. This was lovely talking to y'all. Thank you for listening to episode six, the final episode of Standing on Policy, Activating Our Generation. This is the first season in the Young People Lead podcast led by youth policy consultants from the American Youth Policy Forum, powered by Children's Defense Fund. This is the podcast that demonstrates that young people can and should lead by telling stories from the front lines of youth changing policy, as well as examining the research on the policies that most affect us. This podcast is funded by the American Youth Policy Forum, powered by Children's Defense Fund, in collaboration with the American Institutes for Research, or AIR. Season one of Young People Lead, Standing on Policy, Activating Our Generation, is hosted and directed by a group of youth policy consultants from AYPF, the American Youth Policy Forum. Season one of Young People Lead, Standing on Policy, Activating Our Generation, was hosted and directed by a group of youth policy consultants from AYPF, the American Youth Policy Forum, including Trail Williams, Kyla Woods, Tyra Beeman, Cody Rudy, Daphne Sanchez, and myself, Jordan Wilson. This episode was directed and hosted by me, Jordan Wilson. We believe that young people can lead in the legal system, child welfare, education in the workforce to ensure policies that encourage our success. This show is produced, edited, and mixed by Sarah Daggett of Daggett Consulting, LLC. Thanks for listening.